Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right. Good morning. Live from Beth Page State Park. Raja Bell, Danny Cannell, Cannell and Bell. Beautiful day out here. Little, little bit chilly brisk. though. It's brisk. Yeah, it's brisk. Uh, Wednesday morning. It's better than it was yesterday uh, when it was rainy, dreary, clouds in the sky. And I do think weather is going to be a big uh, part of the discussion this week. we got a big show lined up for you. NBA reaction. We had game one last night of the Western Conference Finals. Steph and Clay go off once again. we got to get to the NBA draft lottery. But first... You, one Raja Bell, have a lot of familiarity with this place. Like, you've played out here a bunch. Like, you're giving me the rundown. Like, hey, this is where you go to check in. This is where you get your tea times. Yeah, I think they call them stomping grounds. These are my stomping grounds. In the summers, I'm here. I'm in the parking lot. I go get my ticket over there at the counter. Desired course, depending on what tea time is available. Um, this is hollowed ground, but it's kind of my home course. So this is so the process. In case people are wondering, and most people have heard the story by now, and this is one of the great things because most major championships are at stuffy clubs. You know, you can't right. just go out there and play, but because this is a public course, you can play. Now to get there's what four or five different courses. They're colored. Yeah. Obviously, the black is where they're playing uh, the made uh, the PGA Championship. So in order to do that, did you have you slept in your car overnight to get that tea time? Because no. that's what they say you have to do. I know I have the luxury of, of having in-laws that live right around the block, so I can slide over here like two or three times a day and pick, like, if someone's got a missed tea time, that slot pops up on the monitor, and I can slide right in there because i got nothing to do. So, But there are people that will sleep, come over from Philly and different surrounding uh, states, sleep in their car, try to get a black tea time. All right, so we have an awesome event lined up. It's setting up because all eyes are going to be on Tiger. He gets number 15 at Augusta. I think some people thought he was going to play in Charlotte at Quail Hollow, but he decides to skip that. So we haven't seen him since the Masters. Watching him a little bit yesterday on the range, watching him get his work in. I mean, yeah, I think he's going to be a tiny bit rusty, but does it matter? We're talking about Tiger Woods. I think you'd rather have fresh legs, healthy Tiger, than a guy who maybe had tried to play Quail Hollow just to keep things fresh. I think he's going to be fine. Yeah, I think he'll be. I think he'll be okay. And look, Tiger professional athletes know their body better than anyone else. So you know, we can all speculate as to whether he should have played or not. But if Tiger says it's it's in his best interest not to play and be fresh, then that's what it is. Um, you know, this is a challenging course uh, in in terms of not just the golf itself, but the walk. Uh, weather's going to be a factor. It's going to be a little colder out i'm interested to see you know with an older body sometimes it's harder to get loose and stay loose um so that all will will kind of play itself out but i I have no concerns with tiger having missed the last five weeks uh it's going to be a long course for him the biggest challenge for me i think for tiger is the weather i think it's i think and we talked a little bit about this last week but because it is chillier, like at Augusta, it was hot and that plays to his strength or not to his strength that plays in his favor because He's got all the issues. He's had the injuries. And yeah. when you get older, like yeah. it's just harder to get the body loose, to and get he, the muscles he, he going. He practices in those conditions. That's exactly. What, that's, where he, you know, that's what he's used to being in. Exactly. So it's going to be a little bit more strenuous on him to have to get up early to make sure his body's fired up and ready to go. But, again, he's fine-tuned. He'll be ready to do it. Uh, tees off tomorrow at 824 with Brooks Kepka and Francesco Molinari, the last three major winners. Should be an incredible group. We're going to go out and watch him. We're going to try to go out and watch him practice a little bit today yeah. as he's playing nine holes uh, this morning and kind of one of his final tune-ups. But I actually Actually, I don't. I don't. I would never. I don't, I don't like him at ten to one odds to win. But I think he's going to be in the top ten, top fifteen when it comes Sunday. I just think his game is that good now, where he's one of the top ten players in the world. And if anybody in the history of golf has delivered more, it's Tiger. Because, like, you see some guys they have tournaments and they're just bad. 
I mean, Tiger, Tiger's legendary for always showing up and not really having those off weekends or weeks when he misses the cut. So I think he's going to be a factor at some point in this in this tournament. Yeah, I'm with you in that I'm not expecting a win. I mean, it would be remarkable. Think about the storylines that would play out over the summer if you got Tiger bag in the oh first two majors. I mean, it would be it would be bananas. Um, but I just, you know, for a Tiger fan, you want him relevant. For golf, you want him relevant. You want him around uh, on Sunday. I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I, I didn't touch on it. The five weeks off, uh, what do you think is going to play? Uh, what's going to be hindered? the most the short game or the driver because if you get sideways out here uh with the rough grown up i mean that can be a long chopping out type of weekend um or do you think it'll be the short game that might suffer because of the time off you know it's probably a little bit of both but i don't think it matters that much you know i think it it was only going to be one tournament right and it still would have been two weeks ago he still would have had some time off you know what i mean yeah no i feel you i still think it all. I think the driver is going to be the most important club in the bag this week because it's soft, because it's wet, because it's been rainy. The ball's not going to travel much in these cooler conditions. Yeah. And it's you can't see the difference is that Augusta you can spray it a little bit, even though he did, he was dialed in with the driver. At some of these other courses on the PGA Tour, and you know if they're not a major, you can spray the drive a little bit. You can find it. You can get it from the rough to the green from 180 yards. Right here. You can't advance the ball oh, probably past 130, 140 yards out of the rough. And, you know, talking about Tiger and the injury issues that he's had, that kind of scares me a little bit about him having to muscle up and really yeah, try sure. to, you know, get one through. And, you know, he's going to have to take his medicine. It's going to be one of those weeks where if you have to be patient. You have to make sure if you do find yourself in the rough, you can't go crazy. You're just going to have to find yourself, take it back in the in the fairway, and try to get up and down from there. But I think I think the driver is going to be the most important glo- uh, club in the back for everybody, including Tiger Woods. Right. So it's going to be awesome. Uh, we, I was out here yesterday, and I was texting you pictures, and – Keegan Bradley, yeah, the shoes. We got so we we have, we have our shoe showdown on Wednesdays. We, yeah. might have to, we should get a guest appearance in on this one and see if we get him because he was where he rocks the Jordans all the time and he had some funky pair on yesterday. They were pretty sweet. I'm gonna be lurking behind one of these right? bushes when Keegan passes by because he's a big dude. Yeah, and there's a chance that he might be in my wheelhouse. I just need to know how I can find some. I think keys. he might be closer to mine at 13. Now we're talking. Right. So I like the way you're thinking. We're set up here right at Beth Page. We got the putting green behind us. Keegan Bradley was out there before. Uh, you're gonna see all the players coming through behind us. We're going to try to get Amanda Valianis on from CBS, get her uh, to chat a little bit about the tournament a little bit later as uh, Tiger has 15, making that run for Jack Nicklaus with 18 majors. So we'll be doing a lot of golf throughout the show. But the story of last night, and we'll get to the game, but before the game, it was the uh, the lottery. So we decided we got to find out who was getting those top three picks, which are the most important picks in the draft. And unfortunately, if you are a Knicks fan, if you are a Lakers fan, uh, if you are a Cavs fan, you lost out on the chance to have Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, or Ja Morant. And the winner goes to the New Orleans Pelicans, who have the number one overall pick in the draft. Everybody's assuming it's going to be Zion Williamson. But your boy David Griffin comes through again. He's got that horseshoe up, as you know what. Yeah, there is something going on with him. I mean, you're talking about, what was it, 2011, 2014, 2015, now 2019. Is that correct? He's pulled the number one pick. It's pretty remarkable. I thought it was interesting because we were, you know, we were out here on Long Island. You saw, you saw the viral, viral videos today of, of of New York (laughs) Knicks fans just losing it. We got a little taste of that in the bar last night when their name (laughs) popped up, uh, at number three. There's no question they're taking Zion. That, that is a, 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 buildable thing. You can take that, plug it into a franchise. Um, you're, you're automatically going to increase your ticket sales. I, I don't know how many wins it produces in year one, but if he hits uh, somewhere close to his ceiling, that's something that you can build around. The question then becomes for me, how the rest of that plays out with, with, with um, the Knicks at three, 
and all the possible scenarios there. The Lakers at four. It's a three-person draft, so it's not really about who they pick. More or less what they're going to do with that pick to see if they can package some people with LeBron. Those are the scenarios that become interesting now uh, that the, the, the lottery's been sorted out. When the, when the selection came out and you found out who was getting the picks, I thought there was only one winner when there could have been a lot more winners. I think right. the New Orleans Pelicans are the only team that really won. You could argue Memphis getting the two pick. That's a, that's a big that pick. That's a win. There, but there are a couple losers, though. Like that's, the Suns, that's my point. So, oh my the God. Suns, losers. Yeah. Knicks, losers. Even though Knicks will still have a third, they'll still have a pretty good player, but losers. I think the NBA as a whole yeah. loses out because if it stays status quo and Zion stays in New Orleans, it's just he's going to be buried in a bad market on a bad team. I don't think Anthony Davis is going to end up staying there. Like if there was ever a time for the NBA to rig it, this yeah, would have been, been the draft it. to do it, like to ensure that Zion goes somewhere good. I mean, Darren Ravel was putting out some numbers this morning saying that Zion could have lost out on $100 million because he's not getting to play in New York. Zion reports are that he was, you know, he really wanted to play there. Right. This is one of those ones where, and we've talked a lot about amateurism and who does it right. If it was similar to baseball, and you got draft, you you had, let's say the draft comes up and you get picked uh, number one overall by the New Orleans Pelicans. You could use it as leverage potentially to get more money, but you could also say, you know what? I'm not really thrilled with this selection. I'm going to go back to college, which Zion actually said he wishes he could go back for another year to Duke, even though you may not believe him or not. Right. But it just seems like, man, he's stuck going there. And I get that's the way it works, but it's really going to just, it's a, it's kind of a damper to what was an incredible college season for Zion. His star power is like on the rise. And it's like, ugh. Yeah. I look, we as fans, and, and I'm looking at it through a fan's lens, are, are preoccupied, um, with the team and who the team is going to get. We rarely look at it through the, the, the potential draft picks eyes and, and through their prism of, of, man, I would much rather be in this city versus that city and watching those lottery balls fall. Uh, I imagine if, if you could get to the core of Zion and he'd give you an honest answer, he was pretty disappointed with yeah. the draw of New Orleans. What I will tell Zion and everyone else is, and, and yes, I, I have a little allegiance to David Griffin, uh, but David Griffin is a builder. He's got vision. Um, they've got a good point guard in Drew Holiday. Anthony Davis has said he doesn't want to be there anymore. Griff has said he's trying to mend the fences and build a relationship. Every day that Anthony Davis is still on that roster and Griff is running the show, it's, it's more and more likely not that he will, but it's more and more likely that he would be enticed to stay because he'll see what Griff is doing and how that vision is unfolding. So don't don't panic. Yes, it's probably not the glitz and glamour of New York City if you're Zion, but you could be sitting in a really good position, especially because you know there are a lot of things, again, with the fourth pick, with the third pick, that might play themselves out. You might get paired with one of your old teammates and be able to build it together. My first thought when we saw the selection last night as we were hanging out watching it was, oh, Maybe Anthony Davis stays in New Orleans now because he's got this superstar player to join with yeah. him. Maybe it makes them an attractive destination. And then I was kind of bummed because I would love to see that happen. I would love to see Zion have, be paired with somebody like Anthony Davis, see them be relevant, see them maybe make a chance at the playoffs. But reports are out that Anthony Davis is like, nah, so what? Like, I'm still bouncing no matter what. Yeah. And I'm, I'm with you. I wish he would give it a little bit of time and let it play out. Let's see what other pieces they can do. And let's see what David Griffin can do with some, with some of the assets that he has now. Yeah. See, the Zion thing's an interesting piece for me because I know everyone, you know, everyone's projected him to be this, this like burning star that's going to take the NBA by storm. I don't think he speaks to veterans that are in their window of winning as much as he may speak to the average fan. 
vets know that you need other vets to win. Like this, this young superstar isn't going to be ready to help you win NBA titles in the next two or three years. So I don't know that getting Zion entices Anthony Davis to stay at the end of the day. I think what may entice Anthony Davis to stay is the infrastructure uh, being changed around the, the Pelicans, the culture in the building uh, shifting to some degree, uh, your relationship with Drew Holiday, um, you're seeing Griff in action and, and having him start to deliver on some of the promises, small, albeit like before the draft and before free agency starts, but just the change that starts to happen from day one uh, of Griff in, Griff's implementation there in, uh, until it's time to leave. I think those things will speak to Anthony Davis, not so much uh, the Zion pick. All right, so we had a three-man draft is what you're telling me with the three key uh, players in John Morant, R.J. Barrett, and Zion yep. Williamson. The Lakers get the fourth pick. That's tough. Odd, odd. Yeah, that's tough. like, hey, I mean, I mean, good luck. Right. I mean, you got names like Darius Garland was the number one projected point guard coming into the season out of Vanderbilt. Um, you know, could be a good NBA player, but look, you're, it is a three-man draft. You're talking about John Morant, Zion Williams, and 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 and, and R.J. Barrett. And if you can get any one of those three, I've already said, I think you're in a, in a really good spot. For the Lakers, this becomes, what are you going to do with the pick? Uh, because it's going to get moved. It's going to be part of an asset package that you start to present to try to get an Anthony Davis. I don't know who else would be a targeted like trade acquisition for them, but that's what that number four pick represents now. It's more fuel uh, that you can add to a potential package to bring somebody else in there to pair with LeBron. They do not need any more young young, um, roll-the-dice type of prospects there in L.A., at least in the next three years while, while LeBron is still a viable entity. Lakers jumped from 11 to 4 uh, as a big winner last night. The Knicks now with a third pick. Like, they're still in a good position. You've said a couple times in here on the show, Zion's great. You have to take him number one overall, but you might rather be selecting two or three. If Memphis needs a guard and they go John Morant, you could end up with R.J. Barrett in New York, which... Maybe he's the guy in this draft that we're talking about in five years. I told Kieran Portley at the bar last night, as a Knicks fan, he was in panic mode. I said, you're going to be fine. This is not a bad thing. Number one, RJ's going to be a really, really good all-star pro, right? Maybe not the same ceiling if you were to, 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 to compare as Zion's, if Zion is the best version of himself anyone could ever imagine, but a really, really, really good all-star pro. Uh, Plus, you've got max money for two guys coming in, right? And you've now got the number three pick, which, in theory, you could flip that and and present your own package for an Anthony Davis. If you got him and Kyrie and Kevin Durant and other guys look up and see Anthony Davis in, in New York, you could be winning next year. Um, you know, with, with Zion, you were still talking about three to four years down the line. So if you're a Knicks fan... Although you wanted the number one pick, I think you still came out a winner last night. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see in the next couple months. And free agency starts in July. It's going to be nuts to see what the Knicks can do uh, as they get closer. And well, try that's to the big relevant. question. Right. Can, the, Knicks, can, can the Knicks figure it out and do it right? <laughs> right. right? Like because they haven't been able to do that over right. the past decade, past uh, 15 years or so, uh, as they go that. The Knicks had the 14% chance uh, to get that number one pick. The $100 million thing I think is interesting is Zion. Like, does that mean that – Whoever gets selected by the Knicks picks up that money. If it isn't RJ, if it is, I guess. No. The only thing I think it does impact, and we had this debate, I thought Zion was getting his own shoe. I really did. I thought he was going to come out. They were going to give Zion his shoe just like they did LeBron early in his career. And I think that's like out the window now. Really? Yeah. You think the market meant that much to his shoe deal? It does, man. I think market matters, especially if you're talking about one of the coasts. If you're in, if you're in, if you're the Knicks or the Nets or the Lakers or the Clippers, they're the biggest TV markets. They're the biggest exposure, uh, you know, popularity and franchises. It just, it makes a massive difference playing in those when you have that much exposure. Like how many times are we going to get to see Zion if he's playing with the Pelicans on national television? Yeah. Probably not that many. And I guarantee that goes in to the conversation. Now, 
ultimately, is that over the course of five years that he loses that five, you know, hundred million probably. But if I'm him, I might do a shorter term deal and kind of say, all right, let me see if I can take this world by storm. And also think too, it depends on what happens with Anthony Davis. Cause right. if the Pelicans are good, and they're able to lure in somebody else, and your boy Griff can bring somebody there. Then, if they're in the playoffs, they're a playoff-worthy team. Yeah. Then it becomes a different conversation. Well, so you don't you don't think you could expect Zion to come in early and make a meaningful impact? No, on team. I, I think you put him on a bad team. He's going to score a lot of points. He's going to have a lot of highlight dunks and blocks like he did in college. But if you paired him with an Anthony Davis um, and a Drew Holiday, I don't know that his significance on that team is enough to necessarily get you over the hump. Right? It's not a number three guy that you plug in and expect. A uh, 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 consistent contribution that would lead to winning. Um, I just think he's a few years, and and the numbers pretty much bear that out. Like history is what it is. Those young guys don't come in and typically have that type of winning impact on teams that are ready to kind of vie for championships. Well, I want to ask you a question about the new lottery system, though, because yeah. you know that that was in full effect last night with the teams. You know, we talked about some of the losers and some of the winners that jumped up Sons with the percentages. Losers, they're trying to. They've been you know not trying, but they've been tanking, have really bad seasons. Right. I I like it over the long haul. It really does screw over the teams that were using tanking as a viable strategy. I mean, that's the whole that's right. their whole strategy. Which, the NBA is is to disincentivize right. that that tanking Which I mentality. Think is good. I just think in this circumstance, again, I wish they would have <laughs> rigged it. I wish they would have done it and had it because I I do I don't like tanking. I can't stand it. I understand why it goes on, sure. but I think it's bad for the sport. I think it's bad for those markets when they're like, oh, my team's not even trying. They're trying to lose. I think it makes it really hard on those players there. But I, hopefully that hopefully the end result will be that they'll do that. Right. You know, like integrity of the league and all that stuff. That hey, this because these, these are these are two really irrelevant franchises that got number one and number two in New Orleans and Memphis. Do you think Memphis? Goes after John Morant and possibly shops Mike Conley? I would imagine they go after John. Mike Conley's 31. I mean, think, he's coming off an Achilles a couple years ago. Uh, you got rid of Mark Gasol. Like, that era is over there in Memphis. Uh, that's another town where, you know, John Morant has star-type qualities, too. He's an electrifying point guard. I imagine they go with John, but it's another one of those markets where, you know, you don't know if you're ever going to see him there in Memphis. How long does it take for them to be good? They they were okay for a while, uh, but never really a glitz and glamour NBA type of town. Uh, so that's another interesting, you know, another interesting dynamic for one of the players that you would have expected to take the league by storm next year in terms of marketability uh, and just you know that young new breed of NBA player that we're going to ride off into the sunset with. Yep, no doubt. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I think I caught myself a couple times looking up at stands and my parents uh, who did the whole coin flip thing and... They can't help themselves, so anytime either one of us did something good, they both were clapping. So they gotta, they gotta fix themselves, cause I told my mom, like, who you, who you with? Um, 
when I made a shot, I saw her stand up and cheer, but I saw all Portland uh, gear, and it was just it was just weird. So um, it, it's probably more nerve-wracking for them um, in terms of just trying to get settled into what this series is going to mean. Uh, it's great. Great stuff from Steph Curry there talking about his parents. Whose side are you on right there? It's got to be an interesting dynamic for his parents. Who, who do you think they're rooting for? I would say they're rooting more for Seth. The, the, well, no, because Steph has already had the MVP. He's yep. already had the championships. He's already got the big money. Seth's a younger guy trying to like make his way in the NBA. He needs it more than Steph does. I think from a family perspective, you need Steph to continue being Steph. <laughs> so that Seth keeps getting That signs jobs? the checks. Yes, that keeps it moving in the right direction. But, yeah, somewhere deep down in the mother or father's heart, Probably wants Seth to get his, but Steph is what drives that that engine right now. So it was interesting because he's talking about finding his mom, and she's standing up in the Portland jersey, and all he sees at the front, he doesn't see the Warriors on the back. How? Because and when you're playing in NFL, there's seventy thousand, so it's a lot harder to find your family, your right. wife, your parents, or whatever. Is it pretty commonplace where you know where your family's sitting in a game? Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, you get you get the ticket. So before the game, I'd make sure I knew if my parents, especially, were going to be there. Um, you know, I'd make sure I knew where I had them seated, so I could check on and make sure everything was all right. And then typically at home, you know where your family seats right. are, so you just you know you get used to looking up in that section, saying hi to your kids and stuff. Right. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. What if he started taunting his mom because be all of a sudden like. <laughs> talking trash to her well he could have been talking a lot of trash last night because they absolutely handled portland 116 to 94 we talked about this being a matchup of two of the best backcourts in the entire nba i got a stat for you so the splash brothers outscored cj and dame lillard dame lillard 72 to 36 so they doubled them up just those two alone and which was probably a big storyline of the game but for me, I'm like, well, this is what I thought was going to happen through this series. I didn't think it was going to be that dominant. But do you think Portland is in big trouble? Like, what do you take away from this game if you're the Trailblazers? Um, you have to make adjustments to your strategy. I, I, For the life of me, I can't figure out what they were doing or what, what the game plan was on Steph. It was to let him shoot. He's the best shooter in the league right now and arguably one of the best shooters of all time. And your strategy was to have your big all the way back in the paint and allow the screen to happen on Steph and Clay and for them to shoot wide open jump shots on the other side of that, that's not going to work. I, I, they, I think they tried to get maybe too cute. Maybe they saw what happened in game six of the Houston series where all the attention was paid to Steph and Clay and a lot of other pieces hurt you. But if I'm Portland, I'm Terry Stotts and staff, they've got to beat me. Over the course of hopefully six or seven games, the rest of those guys are going to have to beat me. I am not allowing Steph and Clay to come off screens wide open with no resistance and shoot jump shots. It's hard to believe about a week ago there were conversations being had, like, where's Steph? You know, is he, is he not the playoff player? Is he not the guy that comes up big? And since the Kevin Durant injury, he stepped up in a monster way. And aside from the first half of game six against Houston, when I, I was like, uh-oh, what's going on with Steph? Where did he go? Like, what, how bad is this going to be? He comes back on fire, picks up that pace. That, to me is the story of this series. If Steph can continue that shooting and Clay as well, yeah. then Portland doesn't have a chance. It's almost like they have to do something or hope that he has an off night, which he has been a little bit up and down in the playoffs of the course of his career, but you can't bank on that. Like no. you got to go make him and hit bad shots. you got to go contest his shots and make him give up the ball. Look, the only real reason Steph has been relatively inconsistent or, or at least com- 
you know, compared to what he used to be is because he's playing out of character. He's sacrificed so much of himself to accommodate Kevin Durant that that'll lead to inconsistencies at times. If you're Portland, you cannot hang your hat on him missing shots. Like, that is not uh, a, a championship strategy. You have to go out there and do something about it. Kind of what Golden State did to you. The first play, we were sitting there last night, Danny, watching it. As soon as Damian Lillard came off of the screen, and I was really interested because I thought Dame would play really, really well, there were two defenders on him. Every time there was an opportunity for him to ISO, you saw a secondary defender start to kind of migrate off of his man. So by the time Dame got into his move, there were two sets of eyes right in front of him. They doubled him either aggressively on the pick and roll or soft in ISO all night. You're making other people beat you. They, Portland, that is, has to do that with Steph Curry. You cannot allow Steph Curry to run around and just shoot any shot he wants wide open. Um, there were even instances where, you know, Clay Thompson was coming off the screens, and these aren't even pick and rolls, and the defender on the screener was back in the paint. And so you have Clay Thompson coming off of a screen wide open for a jump shot. Either A, they had the wrong strategy, or B, they were just not focused as a unit, and they didn't go out there and execute a game plan. But in either case, uh, it got you a pretty good tail whooping last night. So you got Dame had 19, C.J. McCollum had 17. You mentioned the defensive strategy that you noticed early on at the Warriors. What's the counter to that? Like, it, Or do the other guys on the, have to step up and start knocking down some of those buckets? I mean, that's, it's as simple as that. I mean, I, you know, you could tell Damian Lillard um, and C.J. McCollum to, uh, to, to get into their stuff a little quicker, maybe not run as many pick and rolls that bring that secondary defender there naturally. If they're going to double him, uh, you keep the floor spaced, and, and maybe Damian can pick out the guy a lot better uh, when it's coming from a distance. But, I mean, I, it, it is oversimplifying it. Other guys have to play better. And, essentially, that's what, what Houston did to Golden State in that game six. Golden State secondary players stepped up and did their job. Portland is going to have to have guys step up. If they are going to double both of those guys on the catch, coming off the pick and roll, other guys are going to have to step up and eat. I'm not going to make the mistake that I've made a lot throughout my broadcasting career. I'm not going to say, uh-oh, Portland's done. Right. I do think Warriors are gonna, the Warriors are going to win the series. But we've seen the ebbs and flows of the playoffs. We saw it in the Milwaukee-Boston series when Boston won game one and then got swept after. I do think they have a lot of work to do. But also the emotional, you know, they had a game seven in Denver at altitude. Then they yep. come back. Like, they were probably gassed. Then they had to travel. Like, they are probably a little bit dead legs, like, trying to get their feet under them, which I think takes its toll. And Golden State had one earlier. They had won the game six. They had clinched. And they're kind of playing with house money. They start getting things. They, they start seeing it go through the bucket. And yeah. They start feeling good. So, I think Portland has to go back to the drawing board. But I'm, I'm not going to say it's going to be a clean sweep. I think they'll get a couple. You're supposed to lose game one if you're the road team right. and you're the, you're the I don't know, three seed against the one seed. You're, you're supposed to lose that game. Now, you would like to go in there and win it. But if you lose it, it's not a big deal. You do have to clean up the strategy though the game plan has to be cleaned up that it was not fruitful last night um and, and i thought chauncey billups said it the best i heard a lot of people say oh portland should feel good about it not necessarily feeling good about it not feeling terrible about it uh, but there is something to be said for having to play that game seven go home real quick get your stuff then fly out to golden state you know that when golden state's sitting at home in their own bed their own routine they're the more experienced team in this in this space this time of year so i think all of that factors in chauncey billups hit it the best not in a panic mode if i'm portland but you've got to get some things right all right so the warriors take a 1-0 lead we got uh the eastern conference finals kicks off uh with the raptors against the bucks bucks heavy favorite in this one with Giannis. toronto gets by with that monster shot from Kawhi leonard is it going to be easy for the Bucks, or is this going to be a six- or seven-game series? 
I think all of that kind of depends on what you get from Toronto supporting cast. Those guys, the Kyle Lowry has his, you know, has his issues sometimes in the playoffs. And then, you know, Serge Ibaka sometimes will have 15, sometimes will have four. Same with Marc Gasol. Um, who is Pascal Siakam going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals? Is he going to be the star that kind of hit the scene this year? Or is he going to revert back to like a game six where he looked like he was afraid to shoot the ball? If they get some supplementation from those guys, I think you could have a series. You could have a six game series. I still give Milwaukee the edge. If they don't show up and it becomes game seven where they're just handing the ball to Kawhi and expecting him to shoot 30 field goals and, and carry them to a win, it could be a pretty quick series. So you got Giannis versus the Raptors this season, average 27 and 15. Kawhi versus the Bucks, average 22 and 7 with four assists. That to me, I know they're going to be covering each other, but that to me is it's the it's the battle of the stars of these two teams. But to some extent, it's going to be the surrounding, the sporting cast. How much do they step up? But I would expect Kawhi to continue. That's got to be their best game plan is to try to have him carry them once again. Like I would expect him to have a monster series. I don't know if it means they win, but he's going to have to almost average 35 or something crazy for them to have a chance. See, whatever the number is that Kawhi needs to average against every other team, you have to bump that up by like six or seven points because Milwaukee is going to get up and down the court. They are going to put the the running shoes on. They're going to be in transition. They're going to be shooting a bunch of threes and they can hang 120 on you, 115. Um, And then Kawhi's 35 doesn't matter, Danny. It's not enough if you're allowing that many points. And so Toronto's going to have to control the tempo. They're going to have to try to grind that out. They're going to have to load the paint and limit Giannis's buckets, you know, in the paint. If you do that, you'll also limit some of those three-point shooters. But this is going to be a, st- a stylistic matchup. Who's going to get the game uh, into the type of game that is beneficial to them? For as much as we talked about, hey, there could be potential, you know, mayhem in the Eastern Conference. You got the number one and number two seeds playing for the Eastern Conference Finals. They have the Bucks have the best record in the NBA. The Raptors have the second best record in the NBA. Uh, both first-year coaches in this spot. Is there one that you trust more, or is this both of these guys, first time on this big stage, they're going to have to feel their way out? I would trust Mike Budenholzer more uh, than I would trust Nick Nurse, uh, just because, you know, He's been around the block a little bit. He had an Atlanta team um, that got beat by Cleveland when I was in Cleveland. That was his first kind of experimentation with playoff basketball and having this high-powered team. Didn't really live up to the hype, so I think you learn from that. And he's been groomed under under Coach Popovich. You know, when I was a young player and I was in the Spurs organization, Bud was there. He was his right-hand man. And so I really do think um, that those type of experiences from the past when he was on those championship teams uh, will bear fruit and, and, and help him get over the hump if I had to give a coach an edge in this in this matchup. All right, so we're here at Beth Page Black. We're hanging out watching uh, the PGA Championship. What would you do? We got players behind us. We had yeah. Keegan Bradley earlier. We had Pat Perez. They're all in the putting green, which is right behind us. You can see it right back there. A bunch of TV sets over there. We got to knock those out of the yeah, way so we get, get a better shot, shot for shot. us out there. What would you do? Because I'm kind of a fanboy with Tiger. Yeah. And we've had a couple players, like, walk right behind us. What would you do if Tiger walked by? Would I lose you on the show? Like, would you go get a <laughs> selfie? Would you want a picture? Would so you I, walk over there? What I, would... I've actually played that scenario over in my head because I know you guys know Joe LaCava. Yeah. We're going to go check out Tiger on 17 and 18. I asked myself, would would you ask for the selfie? I've never really been the selfie guy. Me neither. I may do it. What about just a photo? Because that'd be, that'd be cooler. A if photo of say, him? Yeah, no, no, like if I say, I think, I think better than a selfie, I think selfies a little bit, like, nerdy. Oh, ask but someone I say, else to take the yeah, picture? Yeah, I'll oh, take yeah, a yeah, picture yeah. of you and Rod. Like, I'll take a picture so for I, you. What we I could do that I together. would probably do is for the show, right? <laughs> like, we need one for the show. That takes some of the, you know, the <laughs> yep. fanboy out of the equation. Right? Yeah, right. exactly. All right. 
Hey, golf fans. PGA Championship Week is here, and CBS Sports is bringing you coverage of the second major championship of the year that you can't find anywhere else. Canell and Bell will be on site this week at Beth Page Black, and we'll be filling you in on all the biggest stories in the lead-up to tee-off and around the world of sports. On Saturday and Sunday, you can watch the tournament live stream in the CBS Sports mobile app and on CBSSports.com, totally for free. You also got to check out CBS Sports HQ, the free streaming sports network that's on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, delivering you news, highlights, and in-depth analysis. Danny and I will be there with our golf expert, Kyle Porter, to bring you updates on the leaderboard, the pairings to watch, special guests, and, of course, what's going on with Tiger Woods. So tune in to watch us on HQ every morning at 10 a.m. Eastern. It's all available for free with CBS Sports. You don't have to pay for a subscription or have a cable package. It's just free, for real. Download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Roku, Amazon, Fire TV, or Apple TV to start watching today. All right, welcome back to Kinell and Bell, hanging out with Kyle Porter. Help us break down a little bit of PGA Championship here at Beth State, uh, Beth Page State Park. Uh, so Kyle, you and I are both warm weather guys. You live in Texas, I live in Florida. This is not the atmosphere for guys like us, but a lot of these players live in warmer weather type yeah. environments too. We, I think the weather has already been a big storyline. Do you think it has that much of an impact on the outcome of the tournament? I think it will, and I think I think what you're going to hear and see throughout the week is guys talking about uh, the distances. You know, we hear Tiger talk all the time about the ball's not going as far because it's cold. i got to adjust my numbers. So I think, you know, I, I think that part of it's going to play in. I also think it's been kind of wet. Like, we've seen there's been a lot of rain, and, it, and it's stayed wet throughout the day. So I think, guys, in these morning tea times, you're going to see the rough get get kind of kind of thick, and it's going to be really difficult to – I think hold some of these greens from positions if guys are, are wayward off the tee. So is it safe to say that the most important club in the bag, which typically would be a putter in a major, could actually be the driver? I think so. Because you're going to have to be super accurate. They haven't changed the width of these fairways from the U.S. Opens that they've had in 02 and 09. So not only are you going to be, have to be accurate, you're also going to have to be long. I mean, you've been out there. It's a huge course, 7,500 yards, but it feels like 8,000 just because of the hills, just because of the undulation. So I think that. But I also think, you know, when Tiger won here in 02, he hit 53 greens in regulation. That was five better than anybody in the field. So, it, it, you know, how do you do that? You hit fairways. Yep. And if you're not hitting fairways, you gotta you got to hit, you know, some of the longer guys. Like Brooks Koepka is going to have, even if he's – even if he's off the fairway, he's going to be long enough that, you know, hitting a wedge out of some of this rough is a lot easier than hitting like a four iron. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I think obviously distance and, and uh, accuracy are going to be better, beneficial. So Raja and I love talking a lot about gambling, trying to find stuff to give our, our <laughs> listeners maybe a little bit of an edge. I don't like playing the favorites. I just don't think there's a ton of value of taking yeah. Tiger or Brooks Kepka at 10 to 1. Jordan Spieth, I think, would be a popular, like, name brand that people might say, hey, I can get decent odds on Jordan Spieth, but, He's had a really disappointing year. If you look at some of the numbers, he's 138th in the world. He's played in 13 tournaments, zero top tens. He tied for 21st at the Masters. Are you seeing anything from his game that would maybe give you some optimism with Jordan, or do you think the struggles will continue? No, no, nothing. <laughs> no. Uh, you, you, me, and him all have the same number of top 20s on the PGA Tour this year. That's not good. And and my thing with him, so he's and he taught, he actually just talked about this in his press conference. He's 18th on the PGA Tour in in uh, birdies. So he's still scoring. Like he's still making numbers. The problem is he's 148th in bogey avoidance. So he's making sixes. He's making fives on par four. Like he, he just, 
he can't limit the mistakes. And at a place like this, that's not good. Like, that's <laughs> going to be really bad because there's a seven. I mean, uh, David Duvall, uh, final round in 09, he triples the third hole. And you're just, you're out of it, you know? And so I, I think, I just don't trust, you know, his driving. He's, he's like 202nd on the PGA Tour in driving right now. We just talked about the importance of the driver. I, I, I just don't see it this week. All right, so a lot of the conversation is about the bombers, the guys that hit a long way. Phil Mickelson can hit it a long way, yeah. but is his game, does it fit this course? If you were looking for a guy, you might want to take. Well, again, like <laughs> the, the driver, you know, like right. he's going to. We gonna don't know be, where it's going. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You and I watched him on the range yesterday, and he is. I mean, I think it's crazy that at his age, how far he's hitting the ball. But again, like, where's he going? You know, and he finished his second here in in uh, 02 at the U.S. Open. So he's had he's had some good history here. But you know, he doesn't have a top ten at a major since uh, since the 2016 British Open. So he finished his second to Henrik Stenson there. Doesn't have a top ten at a major since then. And uh, you know, we've seen him play poorly at, at uh, PGA Championships in the past few years. Misses the cut at Quail Hollow, a place that he loves. So. I just I'm not feeling it with him this week. So Tiger is one of the favorites at ten to one. Brooks Kepka also is. Yep. He had some interesting comments yesterday about hey, why can't I get double digit majors? I, actually, he's almost becoming a little bit of the villain of the PGA Tour because isn't he that, doesn't give a crap what anybody's saying about it's him. Weird. And he was like, hey, well, if there's 156 players, half of them are gonna you know they're gonna be out of it. Yep. The other half I can they're gonna fade on Sunday, and then like it only leaves a few good players I have to beat. Does his mindset actually? Is that why he's able to win three out of five past majors and have this sort of run like he's having? Yeah, it bears out. So uh, Mark Brody, who's done a lot of analytics work on the PGA Tour, he did a thing last year, him and Shane Ryan of Golf Digest, where they looked at who's who's been the best at majors compared to what they are at other PGA Tour events, and Kepka was far and away. Like, and he's good at PGA Tour events. Like, he's, you know, top 15, top 20 guy. But the difference between that and how he plays at majors was was the best of anybody. You know, and there's other guys up there. I think Tony Finau was up there. Xander Shoffley was up there. But he's clearly just – I think he – like, he doesn't care to the degree, like, at a PGA Tour event that it affects him. Like, he, he, just, he just doesn't care at all. And so he sort of cares when you get to a major – and, and, and it, but it's like the right amount of caring. Right. Like he, he doesn't get like, like Spieth almost cares too much. Right. right. And then you might get somebody else who doesn't care at all. Like he, he's kind of in that middle ground of caring just the right amount to where mistakes don't affect him, but he's still locked in enough that he plays well. Awesome. Good stuff, Kyle. Appreciate it. We'll get you back on the rest of the week. Enjoy Absolutely. the uh, tournament. I got to go grab Raja off the putting green because he's going to come back. I want to give you our props for the tournament next on Canel and Bell. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. Raj, I just getting to go putt a few on the putting range. You rolled yeah, all right? stroke was good. Yeah, stroke <laughs> right, was good. good. Well, now we got you down. we got to break it down and talk some props because we got some really good ones made up. Uh, sometimes we have a lot of fun with these. Some of these are serious. I like this first one because I think it's very interesting. I think you can find some value on Tiger Woods. Will Tiger finish top five? You can get yes for plus 275, no minus 350. That's a no. You don't think you think he finishes outside yeah, of the top five? I, I'd like to see him in the top ten. I think top ten is realistic. Maybe maybe top fifteen. Top five, I think, is a tall order, Dan. I'm w- I'm with you. I would say if this was top ten and you get a little less odds that he does, I would take that as opposed to the top five. I'll be we'll both be rooting sure, for him, absolutely. obviously. But uh, it's tough field, tough conditions. That's my biggest concern: is the conditions of the course and the weather. I think could uh, impact him. Will he have the lead after the first round? Yes, plus 2,000, major value, no minus 
10000 So I don't even know what that means. Like you'd have to bet $100 to make a $0.10 cents or something yeah, crazy like it. that. <laughs> I can't do the math in my head. But I'll say no. I mean, there's I, My prediction, there'll be somebody that comes out here that's kind of like, you know, a, a mid-50s type yeah. ranked player that'll be up there and be like, oh, and then he's not going to win. Right, but correct. But they could get hot in the right day and kind of play and have lights out type of day. Yep. So I would say uh, no to that one. All right, let me uh, pull these back up again. Uh, we think they're running this week. I would say 12 yeah. meter. They're going to be quick, but yeah. I wonder if they actually take it easy on them a little bit because of the conditions. Right. All right, next prop we got. Will DJ, Dustin Dotson, mm-hmm. or Brooks Kepka win? Oh, So you can get both those guys in a pair. Yeah. Yes, plus 600. No, minus 900. So I think the odds, I don't have them right, but I think it goes Tiger, Brooks are the same. And then I think DJ is right behind them. Really? So you're getting two out of the three favorites to win at plus 600. I still might say no. Yeah, I know. That's a tough one. But I do think one of those names uh, with the length, the condition. I, I'm going to take yes. All right. Yep. I like that. All right. I'll, All right. Yes. I'll take I kind of like DJ. He's been flying under the radar. Last yeah. year at Shinnecock, he was in that final group with Brooks. He's been playing pretty good. He's long. It all depends on if his driver's going straight, though. All right. Will Phil finish in the top 20? Yes, plus 250. No, minus 310. That's a tough one for me, man, because he, he'll he be around. Right. But he can also get really sideways. Um, another older player, rheumatoid arthritis, right? Is that I know. stuff going on? Yeah, no. I think he's got the CBD working for him, though, oh. so he might have that going where he's feeling pretty good. <laughs> Uh, here's my thing with Phil. Yeah. When I was in Augusta, I went out and watched him uh, for a couple holes. He looks like he's getting older. Right. And it's kind of hard. I was like, oh, man. Now he still bombs it, yeah. now he's, but it looks like he's laboring. Now it was hot there, but it just it didn't look as good as it has in the past. I don't think his game has been as tight as it has been uh, historically. So I would say no, but I think it'll be on the cut. I think top 20 is actually a really good number. Yeah. He's probably like top 30, mm-hmm. but he hasn't been really relevant in too many of these majors uh, as of late. All right, will Jordan Spieth finish top five? Plus 800, you get a lot of value on that him. That is a lot of value. He just hasn't been in a good space. He hasn't looked good lately. No. I, I I mean, no. That's the best way I can put I'm it. I'm with you because, you know, we just had Kyle on. I don't know if you heard him say this, but he has as many top 20 finishes this year as you or me or Kyle. Really? He has zero. No, I didn't Zero to, uh, top 20 finishes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would, I'm with you. I would love to see him get his game back, sure. but I don't think so. All right. Toronto or Milwaukee, the Bucks six land six points. You take the Bucks. You take the Bucks. You yeah, think I'm they roll the in game one. Yeah, I think there's going to be a similar effect to the Portland-Golden State series where, you know, that game seven in motion, having to go to Milwaukee, the Bucks can hang a big number on you. I'm going to take the Bucks. Yeah, fresh legs. That's good. Yeah. That's good. I like I like that play, too, uh, as we'll get down to that one. All right. Raza and I are going to head over. We're going to watch Tiger Woods for a few holes. Then yeah. later, I think we're trying to set it up where we get in the driving range. Oh, that and would be so dope. Track man. Shot tracer. See how far technology. we're hitting it, like, uh, right next. Because they actually do it on the course with this massive billboard. And it shows, like, Phil and all these guys, you know, all they're out there and going. It would be hilarious. The yard's going, pshoom, oh, like, I'm a 280 carry, dead left, <laughs> right. like, on a straight I'll tell you one thing. Place. If I do get out there, I'm swinging out of my shoes. I'm not laying back <laughs> at all. All right. Rod's on here all week here at Beth Page Black. Thanks for watching. We'll be back tomorrow to break down the first round of the PGA Championship.